Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, kicking it to you live with an episode of the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign with the adventure, the Herald, and the quest, the past. In perhaps the last episode of the past. Every time I say that, I feel like I'm wrong and we end up having one more episode. So I'm going to say this with full hopes we can bang this one out. I don't In think you've said few... that before. I'm pretty sure I said it for the last quest, but either way, it doesn't matter. Point is, party have made it quite a ways. We have traveled far and wide in order to complete basically a, a lich's wild goose chase idea of how to correct the ills and the wrongs that have made the Herald of Steel what he is today. Essentially, party broke into the magic fortress, went through the super spooky dark hole, ended up selling a soul, putting it into a little jar. Party traveled quite a ways before returning back to the lich. And now, traveling through strange, dreamy magic, have made it to the past. How did they do this? Well, our friend the Lich Unthrindil had mentioned keeping a detailed log of very many spooky things, including apparently the life and death of four particular hobgoblins, uh, which, you know, I'm not going to say the names. But essentially, there's word that these are some traitorous uh, hobgoblins. Uh, fortunately enough, you guys were all able to heed the Lich's uh, instructions of killing the Dreamer in their dream in order to assume their form, and through a strange, weird, dreamscapey ritual, the party have managed to travel into the forms of these hobgoblins 100 years ago uh, on the side of the mountain, uh, where Stormblood, as you now know him, the form before the Herald of Steel, is held up in a fortress uh, and your plan is to somehow, before Stormblood becomes what he is in the present tense, uh, give him a soul in order to make him killable. So the party, having succeeded in whomping, bonking, and exploding the dream forms, have now woken up on the side of the hill, uh, or at least on the side of the mountain, rather, and sit there in the darkness of their camp. So... You guys don't have the jar with the soul in it, which is kind of a problem, but, you know, we'll deal with that when we get there, I suppose. Also, um, I take umbrage with that, because I didn't want Bob or kill mine. I was a tricksy goblin sorcerer who definitely has 18 to 20 charisma at this level, and I used all of my tricks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that part where that definitely happened. <laughs> um Yeah. 
Okay. So. Okay, I have a question. You mentioned yeah. the word traitorous. In what way are we traitorous? I can't recall. Well, that's a part uh, you don't entirely know, but from Great. what uh, Klika had gleaned from Dream, uh, there was mention of the eyes of Felure, and some mention that Trixie Little Goblin waking up in the water, popping up in the dreamscape, must have somehow maybe been aligned with that, as the Hobgoblin was like, are you a member? And <laughs> Klika was like, I feel like I've met you before. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, but as everybody wakes up uh, with your strange sensibilities as hop goblins now, you definitely have the capacity to speak fluent goblin, each and every one of you. Um, but beyond that, everything else of your personalities seems the same-ish, though your bodies are now limited by those of a hop goblin. Does this mean I don't have access to Fury of the Small? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Oh, you know it. Oh, no. What does that mean? See, like, now it, ability scores change? I mean, yeah, we'll deal with that when it comes up. I don't feel like that's right. entirely necessary at this very moment, but, you know. Norhill slash Gudrick is going to get up and start searching the camp for supplies. Okay. To take so, stock of what we have. Okay. And so, as you... uh begin to look around here and see the dwindling bits of the campfire here you see that there are a few different sacks out uh each one of them seeming to have some sort of dried food and whatnot there are a few weapons laid out about the camp um and your gear with your armor and everything like that but for the most part i mean judging by how far you are away from stone's reach which is the spire where undindereth the frost dragon you had killed i guess a hundred years from now um this is sort of its old dwelling, but judging by how far away you are, it doesn't seem like you'd need very intense supplies. You get what I'm saying? So, like, this is like camping half a day's trip outside of the uh, the layer. You know what I mean? Um, so when you say your gear, do you mean our gear in the future or the gear that a small band of hobgoblins would be carrying with them? So the gear a small band of hobgoblins would have with them. So, you know, like a pot, stuff to make a fire couple knives, blankets, bedrolls, but uh, not much else. Uh, how about armor and weapons? Yeah, the armor that you guys have is chainmail. Um, it's very decently made. Um, you all also carry shields, and each of you has both a spear and a longsword. Um, two of you have longbows, but, you know, I'll let you guys fight over that. So, yeah. I guess in this form, if you really want to get into the nitty-gritty of it, uh, in this form, you do have an armor class of 18, uh, and your stats are pretty close to average. Strength is a bit above average in your charisma. I mean, you're a bunch of smelly hobgoblins, so, you know, you can only imagine how charismatic you all are. Just about as charismatic as Klika is, so, you know. So we're all set. Yeah, 18 to 20 is what I heard. That's <laughs> not some ass hobgoblins on this hill. Like any respectable sorcerer at this level. Uh, <laughs> fucking Balenciago hobgoblins chilling damn. out here. Just... <laughs> just some Hugo Boss looking motherfuckers. <laughs> really strong chin lines. Um, oh, waking up. Just handsome Squidwards on the side of this mountain. Click a All of you with around. cat's eyes and pink noses. I don't want to come up with a new character voice, but I guess I should, right? I don't think you have to. Okay, well, that's good. It's it's Klika's inflection and manner of speaking 
uh, but with you know an adult male hobgoblin's voice. <laughs> yeah, I don't wanna. That's a mind fuck. Um, so you know in... this whole quest works better when you don't think about it that way. Yeah, you know, I just... and um. This one who isn't Klika, but Klika is this one's dream. Um, it seemed like they were working for the eyes of failure. So maybe we all are. Did any of you guys' dreamers talk about failure when you were talking with them? My oh, dreamer just... wouldn't talk to me at all. I disturbed a father and his son with the holy light of the illuminator. That was all. I don't know how to interpret that. <laughs> no, not good. <laughs> I also like thinking that the hobgoblins all just sound like thwonks from Super Mario. You know, like just, just the whole lot of all four of you. It's just one of them has a, a little tiny goblin inflection. But good. Um. Well. Yeah. If- we are members of the Eyes of Failure. I suppose that could either work for or against our advantage. Although, if Stormblood already knows that we're traitors to his cause, that could spell big trouble for us. I think it's safe to say that you guys are all aware that the Lich and Threndiel would not send you out here knowing knowing that you were all traitors to go into the compound where this guy is. You know what I mean? Like, I, It may be the case that others know you're traitors, but I don't think he would have sent you in there like that. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, but like, you know, there's limits even to his knowledge. He might not have known that Stormblood knew about these particular random hopped-out ones. True. Yeah, you true. can tell in Thorndale's kind of a self-insert for Dan, so <laughs> he kind of, <laughs> there Thorndale are no knows limits. everything Dan knows. Yeah. Listen here, man, I want it known that I've always liked time travel as a way of fucking with the storyline, and so let's just say, as much as I'm your pal Rooney here, and Thorndale is definitely helping, you know, DMNPC your way through this, yeah, there's some fucked up, you know, implications of the fact that going in different timelines is going to have multiple universes, and you think that the Lich who can travel through universes wouldn't take advantage of having your doubles in a doomed future? No, of course not. That wouldn't happen. Don't worry about it. Anyway, my NPC would never fail you. What else do you need to do? Uh, so what we need to do is, you know, we need to, you know, pack up everything, uh, break the camp, make it look as normal as possible, and start heading towards... What was the name of the keep again? Otherwise, Stones we would call it Storm's Reach. Stone's Reach. Stone's Reach, yeah. So we need to start heading towards Stone's Reach. Aye, aye, Captain. Let's go. Nice. Um, okay, so with that, the uh, the party are going to start managing their way up the hill. Uh, luckily for you... You have all traveled this exact path once before, and while the trees and some of the stones may be in different placements, it is all too familiar to all of you, having traveled through the snow on your way up the Sundering Spire Mountains here, up to Stone's Reach itself. You guys know the path very well, okay? Um, On your way up, I will say that there is a chance you guys are going to run into another group of uh, people guarding the mountain. Um... 
I thought you were going to say time-traveling adventurers, but all right. It's another group. It's you guys in a different future scenario. Like, oh, shit. I knew we were too late. Portal just closes. Like, uh-oh. That doesn't bode well. But for the next few hours, you guys really don't run into any issues whatsoever. But one thing that does come to mind is as you guys probably have some small talk about what you plan on doing and how you plan on handling this, it becomes painfully clear that none of you have any of your actual personal items from the future in these current bodies, which takes the whole Jarzak or now Taclaw taking a soul out and putting it into a jar thing feel like a pretty moot point. Klinka just keeps asking uh, Taclaw to check his back pocket. Are, are you really sure it's not in there? This time, he's checking way. Oh boy! <laughs> oh, that's not your pocket anymore. Since, since, since I don't, I don't, I don't have pockets anymore. Oh, what is this? Why would you wear clothes like this? Can Taclaw like summon his soul to himself? I mean, it, at the end of the day, it's still. Jarzak's soul, is that something he can, like... I mean, if we're in the past, wouldn't he theoretically have a soul again, or does that not really exist? Well, his soul has been pulled out of his body and made into an object, so it does exist somewhere else. And technically, none of you guys existed at this point in time in the past, so your soul wasn't even here. Except for... Except for the dwarf, but, you know, he's no longer a dwarf, and instead now he's a hobgoblin walking around, I guess, a dwarf in a hobgoblin skin suit. But again, I mean, and, the less yeah, we think about this, the be, better. Especially because Norhill is only 50 years old. He wasn't born yet at the time of this war, so. Oh, I thought you were yeah. older than that. Nope, uh, Norhill's been an adult for about 10 years. What a baby. Um, okay, yeah. so anyway, the baby yeah, that's why he has the... a whole life ahead of him. He's got like 300 years. Whoops. What a bad time to get, you know, <laughs> held down with the old ball and chain of a wife and a kid. Am I right, guys? And a red anyway. dragon and several pissed off gods and one really angry wizard. Am I right, guys? <laughs> so, again, the painful realization that you guys do not have the soul in the jar, nor any of your weapons, and you're limited by whatever these hobgoblins had done for their gym class. Uh, it seems like you may have an issue on your hands. Guys, I'm starting to freak out. Every time I clap my hands together, Shadowblade doesn't come out. I think it's broken. Well, um, oddly enough, your sorcerer's magic will actually come through. Jesus. Oh, no. <laughs> no I'm just kidding. Could you imagine? <laughs> I'm also assuming I don't have, like, my... Like, I, I wouldn't call it a racial or a class ability. It's this thing you gave me where I get tongues for an hour. Do I have that? Say you do. Because that one is attached to your soul specifically. In okay. that weird kind of transcendental way that Klika exists. Yeah, that's that's the one I was actually curious about. Oh, nice. Because my weapon's attached to my soul? Does that mean... <laughs> yeah, your, your soul's just a hundred years that way. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, actually, then, that's an interesting point. Klinko, if your powers as a child of destiny still function, can you not attempt to call the jar to us? Um, I guess. Klinko sits on the ground and 
I don't know. Do, does it? I I don't even. It's not like it's nighttime, so she can't really channel. Oh, it is nighttime. Oh, fucking perfect. She tries to yeah, channel guys, the stars. She tries to find dogs. her star. The Hobgoblins were sleeping very normally at nighttime, and you just showed up and woke them like fucking sleeper agents and got up and were like, let's go to the mountain, and just started marching in the dark. So These guys you know. are going to wake up from like a bout of sleepwalking, fucking exhausted, and probably to be executed. In a in a whole new place, yeah. No. Um, so what were you saying, Ryan? Yeah, Klinka will try and, I guess, find her star and, I don't know, reach through it to get Jarzak's soul. I think that's how that works. Uh, hey, sometimes you gotta say words in D&D and see what your DM says. Sometimes he says, I don't think that's how that works. And sometimes he says, you, you, you solved my fucking soul puzzle. Sometimes he says that, <laughs> and everyone claps. Well, he didn't, and nobody did. So, what? any other bright ideas? I have an idea. Yeah, actually, I do. It's very bright, because the Illuminator like, still exists right now, right? And the Illuminator <laughs> also exists in the future. Can I just commute with the Illuminator? Because he is not bound by time, I imagine. Or she, I don't yeah. know if the Illuminator. Can I, I do that? Pray into him. And you're going to yeah, be praying to him it. in the dark. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, how's oh, I'll pray. How's Anton doing without the lantern and everything? That thing's been attached think, to your I hip. I don't think it's occurred to him yet. I feel like it's a slow growing like realization. I guess because we have dark vision. He's like, oh, the sun hasn't gone down yet. <laughs> <laughs> Why is everything gray? Yeah, the everything's a bit very bland. grayer. <laughs> I think he's just thinking like this is just a part of the dream. Well, everything was black and white in the past <laughs> until they invented color TV. So. Basically. Oh, Can't prove that one wrong. Anton's gonna try to commune with the Illuminator and find a way for assistance to regain the item that was Jarzak's soul. Well, I don't think you need to dive that deep into it, but as you try to commune with the Illuminator, you don't feel any sort of connection. Not having the lantern, not having the light... You attempt to, but it feels so distant and so hard to reach out in any way to the essence of the Illuminator that nothing seems to answer your calls here. He looks sad. He looks very sad right now. It's like, well, we gotta get this done fast. Travel to the realms of, of negativity and death. Didn't look sad there. You come here no, and you don't have a good cell phone res reception. And you're like, this is a cursed place. <laughs> I know. Like, he still had five G in the wrong death. <laughs> nice. I don't. I don't believe that's true. But anyway. Um, <laughs> okay. But I mean, I don't know. I'm not gonna do that DM thing and be like the puzzle's so obvious. But I mean, you used one pathway to get in here. Um. Well, maybe if one of us goes to sleep, then they can have a dream. To talk to the lich, and he'll tell us how to get it. Yeah, it's gonna be a real shame when you wake up and realize he's slurping the kidneys out of each of you when you're yeah. asleep. Yeah. <laughs> you wake up, and you're just like straight uh. up canoptic jars, just hooking out fucking <laughs> Anton's uh, brain at through his nose like spaghetti. <laughs> like, oh man, 
Clique is going to have to put that back in. <laughs> um, I mean, I think it should but be anyway. Jarzak. Yeah, Jarzak, you go to bed. It is his back pocket. No, it's not. It's not. Jarzak can't the one just... holds... I mean, if we were going to the future, it would be easy, because then we could have told the lich in the past before we jump to the future to just bury it somewhere and we dig it up. But that's a one-way street and we're on the wrong side of it. Well, what's the plan? Let's just go to the guy and it'll show up. Dan won't end the campaign. He'll solve the puzzle for us. Call his bluff, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be really unfortunate when this doesn't work out for you. Playing chicken with the DM is my favorite pastime. You know, go. the sad part is is that at one point in time in the campaign, not to pull back the DM's curtain real quick, but I definitely had a resolution for this campaign that had nothing to do with this solution here. So, hey man, you want to call it my bluff on it? We can use the fail slave. You know, we can kill him in his own element if you want to do that. It's going to be a little harder to bring her, bring him himself to the land of immortals, drag him there, and then kill him with his own element. But yeah, man, we can do it. Or... Well, not let's try the dream thing first. That seems easier. Listen, I'm not telling you what to do, okay? You can march up there and just have a suicidal mission, get these hobgoblins <laughs> killed, chalk it up four more points to the party, <laughs> minus four yeah, from get, the uh, failure. Yeah, I want the XP for that. <laughs> okay. Turns out that's why all of us were born as like with adventurers and not commoner stats is because we killed these four hobgoblins and leveled up preemptively before being born <laughs> that's pretty good actually <laughs> i knew you people wouldn't be able to handle this kind of a time traveling quest okay i'm just waiting for jared to say he goes to sleep <laughs> i mean you know You're not thinking fourth dimensionally. Oh, I'm sorry. No, Jared not Jared. Jared, do not go to sleep. Your character sleep. needs to go to sleep. Please. I mean, that's assuming he's tired. Yep. Who? <laughs> My character goes to sleep. Okay. So the party for some reason traveled a few hours and then made camp again after realizing the futility of their idea. Uh, Taclaw lowers his head and after a couple of hours of attempting to go to sleep with all the pressure on him to go to sleep, uh, eventually, eventually, Taclaw is able to fall asleep. And so, uh, Jarzak, what you notice when you fall asleep is one of the stranger feelings you've ever gotten. I mean, you've gone through a lot of strange stuff, so I don't know why I'm even trying to qualify this in any way. You feel this weird sense as if, like, you do a 180 in gravity and all of a sudden the ceiling becomes the floor and the floor becomes the ceiling where once your eyes close and you feel yourself officially drift off to sleep, you realize you're waking up. So it's almost like with one heavy blink, you're able to like wake up in your own body on the slab in this chamber filled with the Deathlock whites there, as well as the Lich and Threndial. And seeing you stirring in your sleep, the Lich slides forward effortlessly across the floor towards you and says... What has happened? Um, you know, you know, just living my best life. What? What are you? He looks to you with a cold wickedness and says, "If you do not correct your wrongs, 
and go back to that dimension. I will punish you myself. But what dimension? It doesn't matter. Go back to sleep. I... I'm all of a sudden not tired. <laughs> so with that, he holds up his skeletal hand and he says, I can send you back. For a moment, you think, you know, he's been helpful. What if this is not as helpful as he makes it sound? But yeah, um, okay. So at this point, knowing that you have to bring with you some items... Uh, including the jar and whatever else you might want to take with you in a very Freddy Kruegerish kind of like, if you believe the dream is real, you can take it with you kind of thing. Um, I'm going to need you to roll a charisma saving throw for each item you're going to be taking with you. Okay. Now, because of the importance of taking the jar with you and it being your soul focus and your own soul... I'm going to give you advantage on that one. So if you'd like to roll that first, as you clutch onto it, and try and to go back to sleep. Saving throw? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Don't worry, Rox, get charisma. Okay. I got a 19 and a 20. <laughs> Turns out it was actually in your back pocket this whole time. You know, funny enough. Guys, I found the um, pocket. I found it. It was back so, here. For that reason, with that good of uh, with a saving throw, I'll let you take one other item with you as you go. Glumrose, look, by the take way. Take the beans. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just play Dumbrow. one every five steps. Explain that <laughs> one, bud. <laughs> Dumrose, look, is still charged from that last crit spell. So whatever <laughs> it's going to do, it's going to do it. It's going to do it hard. I take Dumrow's luck. You're right. That's a good call. Um, I'm just saying, you might not like what happens, but... Not my body, not my problem. Uh, That's right. the thing, right? I think so. <laughs> okay, so clutching onto Domro's luck and onto the vial, uh, you drift off to sleep as the skeletal uh, as the skeletal mage casts a spell upon you. Uh, as you drift off into sleepiness, you realize that you're sitting on a raft as you feel the weird waviness underneath your limbs sort of conjure you from sleep. And as you shift and look around on this raft, which itself is probably about eight foot by eight foot, uh, you see that there is a single hobgoblin sitting on the edge of the raft and his legs are kicking in the water. Um, and he seems to be pretty well at ease. The sun's beating down upon you in a very warm and gentle way. And the coastal breeze seems to provide you with the comfort that abates the sun. So, what would you like to do as Domero's luck is in hand, as well as the jar? Hmm. Um, can I grab anything else, or is that it? Uh, this is the stuff that's on your body right now. So I'm basically saying that as you travel into the next realm, you basically rolled the, the saving throw preemptively. Oh, okay, okay. Um. So technically, you could roll saving throws for other things, too. So if you wanted to actually grab something from somebody else's body and try to take it with you. Yeah. Jarzak's gonna grab... Is the lantern Anton's uh, focus, too? Yeah. Does that even matter? It is. Can... 
So okay. you'll have to roll a charisma saving throw for that one. So you bring one with you to the boat in the dream. The question is, can you take it? Yeah, I want to take that, the war pick, and flicker, I guess. Okay. And my sword. <laughs> okay, so that's going to be what? Four saving throws? Yeah. So the first one will be for the lantern. That's a 25. Jesus. Okay, this is not an advantage anymore. Uh, correct. Okay. Um, and then we can go for the uh, hook hammer there. An 11. Oh, okay. Now flicker. An 11. Okay, and now the diamond-edged blade. A 24. You know, I can't help but feel like Jarzak had some particular plans in mind. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. So, okay. Um, so as you, again, you end up on the raft with all the items that you brought with you. Um, and as you're sitting on the raft and appear there, it seems like the hobgoblin is uh, humming a bit of a tune. Are you going to hit him in the head? Jarzak's like, I don't time to go back in and just kicks him overboard. Okay. So as you walk over to him and go to kick him overboard. Um go ahead and roll the uh a strength uh strength check. Well actually no just make it a yeah yeah do it as like a strength check or athletics if you can add it. Uh 17. Okay. So yeah you boot him square off the boat and he flops into the water with a splash and starts wading around and sputtering and kick spitting up water and he's looking around and sees you on the raft, and he just starts yelling out for help in the goblin tongue. I smack him with Elmer's luck. <laughs> Come on! Alright, roll with advantage. Oh, no. Don't um... worry, you don't need to roll for damage. You just need to roll for advantage. Uh, 23? Yeah, so when you connect with his head, for a brief instant... The, the steam of some sort of explosion, some rapid nuclear explosion in the water goes off, and for like a split second, you can feel the heat, the impossible heat and steam and the pressure release as you hit him in the head. But all of a sudden, you wake up on the side of the mountain, two hours away from the original camp, with a lantern on your chest, as well as the diamond-edged blade, Domero's luck, and the vial, which was actually always in your back pocket. And as you stir <laughs> awake with these things, they just fall off of you like... It just fall from nothingness over your chest. Okay. It it clutches at the le- at the lantern, kind of like like when a little kid loses like their blanket. <laughs> he just even think for a second. He just sees it and just grabs. He says, "How?" And he's like very happy, but a little bit frightened that it's here now in the past. Because he's like, "How am I gonna bring it back?" I- don't know. Got it for you, though. You look lonely without it. He's like, here's oh, his belt, nice and nice, and he won't take his hand off it. He is very attached. Okay, <laughs> just remember, uh, if you walk back into a hobgoblin camp and you have this thing on your belt, they're gonna be like, where'd you find that? Like, internet? Like, I don't know. That goblin named internet doesn't really usually have lanterns. <laughs> uh, um, okay. <laughs> nor does his buddy eBay. But anyway, um, so the party stand there. The sun begins to creep across the horizon. What would you guys like to do? 
Well, there's no telling how much time we have. We need to introduce the soul during the ritual that Stormblood used to become the Herald of Steel, if I remember correctly. True. From what you know, you really only have tonight. I guess we should get moving then. What are we going to say if they ask us what we're doing in camp? Or I guess in the castle? The fortress. The keep. Norhill, with his military experience, especially as a ranger of sorts, knows that these guys, from their position and their light, you know, uh, campings, it seems like these guys were just doing something of like a shift uh, on the range. And so heading back doesn't seem like a like a silly thing or a strange thing at all, especially if they needed to get more supplies or report with findings. Judging by the markings on Gudrick's armor, Gudrick seems to be a man of a higher ranking than the rest of the Hobgoblins here. And so, again, Norhill just kind of picks up on these little details before anybody else does. Yeah, I was just about to ask if we had any indications of rank or anything. Yeah, so uh, Norhill will explain it to the party. Unless I miss my guess, we're rangers or scouts of some kind. They probably won't ask too many questions if we say that we're coming in for relief. Especially since there doesn't seem to be anything particularly dangerous about these mountains. Not yet. Oh, well, that sounds good to me. And then if we do run into anything dangerous, well, then we have a real report to deliver. Jarzak, how come you got yourself two weapons, but you didn't bring me or Norhill's weapon? I just, I, Klinka, I, I, I tried to bring Flicker and Norhill's weapon, but uh, it, they were, they were, they slipped, and the other one was too heavy. It's just in the ocean of somebody's dream. Oops. Oh. Uh, I, I tried. Stronger Klinka. weapon isn't going to help us much in this operation, anyway. Klinka, uh, do you want do you want Omero's luck for now? Klinka gets really freaked out by that thing, so no. Norhill? I think that I will make do without. Uh, okay, well, you're not having my sword, so Klinka will use, good. will use this, and she holds up a bow by the string. And that swings around, hits her in the nose. <sighs> oh, God. You take eight points of damage and you go back. <laughs> Damn, that was a good hit. Klinka's <laughs> a very dexterous character, that. remember? True. Um, okay. So the party are within about two hours of travel from the uh, camp at Stone's Reach. So what would you like to do? I think we're just going to move. Okay. So, as the uh, party make their way up the mountainside, traversing the crags and climbing the mountainous uh, cliffs, again, all of it having a strange deja vu sort of vibe to it. Everybody knows the easiest ways to travel, and you see some of the rocks that have moved over the century, um, but now are in their same inert spot from before. Uh, Once you reach the top and see what is Stone's Reach... Um, though it is not as icy as it was before, it is still snow-tipped and snow-capped, 
Um, you see a massive bridge that seems to stretch from the edge of the crevasse here at the peak all the way to the edge where the sort of like main fortress faces. And down below is a large channel of water with a very familiar cave entrance uh, that you remember from before. But as you reach the top and look across the bridge, you can see very clearly a very interesting sight as a troop of ogres seem to be marching across the bridge before coming to a stop and marching the other direction. Sentries of griffins mounted by hobgoblins, goblins, and orcs seem to be floating around overhead, again, practicing different maneuvers, and some of them just acting defensively as scouts for the area, flying overhead like an eagle would. Um, and as you guys approach and make your way up to the top here, you can see people up in guard towers in the distance, snuck and hidden away in rocky outcroppings, waving and giving hail symbols as you guys are making your way back in. Can you try to make the same symbols back? Yeah, I was going to say Norhill returns the hails. And so you guys are gestured to go through the bridge and enter through the main fortress. They don't need to stop us or anything? No. All right, awesome. Again, Godric is a man of integrity and a man of high ranking. Of course he is. Um, Good for him. Um, so as the uh, party traverse the bridge and make their way to the fortress proper, you can see that standing out front are a few more groups of troops that are out here practicing in formations, sparring, as well as going over various plans and strategies. But as you guys approach to one of the fortress entrance, uh, you can tell that a particularly large-looking giant comes walking your direction, but is a giant that looks a bit different from giants you've seen in the past. This one has sort of a jutting lower jaw, strange braids on the top of its head, and seems to be wearing billowing and flowy clothing, not wearing an inch of armor, seemingly, and instead only has at its back a single spear, which itself looks so finely made and finely crafted, it might as well be decorative rather than anything else. As it turns to face you with all of its about 12-foot height, it stands up broad and tall and looks down at Gudric with a murderous glare. This thing, boasting with all of its chest power, a single calling hail in the goblin tongue towards you, and says, What do you have to tell me of your time out there on the range? Uh, Norhill will say back in the goblin tongue, Nothing to report. The terrain is craggy, but not difficult to traverse. No sign of any dangerous monsters, nor the enemy. And with that, this giant, which now, after hearing it speak and the level of intelligence and sinister activity of it, as its eyes flip side to side with its glowing red pupils, it becomes painfully apparent to those who have an eye for things. Uh, if I could get a knowledge of nature check, or history, or arcane. Ooh. Uh, 24. Damn. For what? History? Yeah. I'm actually proficient in history. Anybody okay, I got, I got a 12 arcana, but a 21 history. I know I can't nice. roll twice, but that's fine. <laughs> I only got a 16 history. Okay. Is Jarzak going to roll for nature? Yeah, I got a 14 nature. Okay, so very clearly uh, from the nature check, uh, Jarzak can tell this is a giant of some variety, though it's hard to tell which kind. Judging by its size and stature, it's clearly not a hill giant, 
but it's not one of the larger variety and its level of intelligence and articulation leads it to be some strange other kind of giant. You're not entirely sure, but those who have passed with their history checks are very painfully aware as they think about lessons they've heard of the Southlands uh, with the uh, Kingdom of Themes in Taihalan. Uh, this very well is indeed an Oni. And as you guys see this strange and elusive type of giant before you, it sinks in when it comes and sort of penetrates Gudrick with its glare that this beast knows much. And it definitely does not seem to trust you guys on face value. And so as it leans in sinisterly towards Gudrick, it says, Is that all you have seen? All you have to report? It is. Though I find it unfortunate my men didn't get to see any action. They'll begin to get restless soon. And as he goes back to his full height, the Oni says, I'm sure you will see much action soon enough. Soon enough indeed. And with that... Very good. A I very, we better go for our orders then. A very familiar looking man seems to come walking out of the darkness of the entrance to the fort here. Recognizable only based on the horns upon his forehead, his long wavy brown hair falling over his shoulders, and his very strange staff in his hand, which seems to be something natural, yet very divine in its perfections. A perfect oak wood staff covered in mushrooms, flowers, and various bits of grilling shrubbery. This strange man, who seems more akin to nature than society itself, has the markings of a demon-born individual, but as he walks forward and steps, he has a certain stoic understanding, and empathetic warmth. And as he looks to you, he says, Goodrick, how nice it is to see you. And you, sir. Does anybody seem to be, like, bowing or prostrating uh, in his presence? Absolutely not. And I imagine Norhill picks up on that very quickly, that not a soul seems to do anything different. Uh, so, yeah. So, that, then uh, he just says that. Okay, and with that, he the uh, this tiefling looks over at the Oni and says, "Is Shuntin giving you a tr a bit of trouble?" No more than usual. I just think he wants to make sure he's getting the truth. And with that, Shuntin gives a, a bit of a nod of deference as he looks over at Stormblood, and Stormblood seems to give a knowing tisk tisk, and he says, "It is that same perfection and attention to detail." That got him to be second in command around here. But you know how much I hate titles such as that. Someday, Goodrick, someday we can all be equals. He puts a hand on your shoulder very warmly and lovingly, and he gives a nod and a smile, and he starts walking back to the bridge, hailing towards the ogres, as well as the orcs, those flying above, and continues on his way. As he's far out of earshot, Shuntin leans in again towards you four and says, I know your secrets. I see through all of you. And if any of you have any plans on corrupting that kind soul and what he plans on doing, let's just say you would wish to be sent to hell than to spend another evening with me. We always look toward your evenings. I don't think hell would be worth the while. He looks confused. And insulted, and he snarls over his yellow teeth 
revealing gemstones encrusted in a couple of them. Oh, that's kind of weird. I assure you, we all share Stormblood's dream. He snorts, not unlike a, a bull. And at this point, he sort of just gestures for you to go in and get your rest. Uh, so, Gudrick follows the gesture. Um, suddenly a gesture appears. Um, so anyway, as you guys are <laughs> walking in um, and walking uh, into this chamber, it seems like following the general rabble of the uh, soldiers and gathered rangers and rogues and whatnot amongst the ranks here in Stormblood's fortress, uh, it's pretty clear where you guys are supposed to go. And as you look back through time, or I guess look forward in time, you guys can see the remnants of frost dragon blood and organs and bits all kind of tossed and strewn about the dragon's old lair here. Unfortunately, this is nothing more than illusions created in the mind's eye. And instead, what you see is a coalition of so many different types of things, which normally, as a child, you'd be warned about. Goblins gathered in circles amongst giants, orcs speaking with trolls, ogres, and whatnot, it's a coalition of peace that seems very strange and odd. And in a way, it's almost jarring to hear all these different languages spoken and coming together so cohesively to make one unified common tongue. And as you guys are marched in to grab some food, a couple more orcs walk by. One of them touches Godric uh, on the shoulder. And as he pokes him on the shoulder, you look back and he sort of gives you a smile and a wave and a nod. Um, knowing... Oddly, in your soul, in your mind's eye, as a dwarf, the ancestor of people who have died in this war, an orc such as this could be the same one that cleaved the head off of the warriors of the dwarves uh, deep within the uh, War of the Bleeding Stone. And too too painful is it to, to realize that these same people who are smiling at you, clasping you, and that sense of camaraderie you feel as a warrior amongst kin, that these same kin would have your people dead and feel probably nothing beheading your own family, your grandparents, and everybody else. So in this strange feeling as trying to stay low-key and undercover here, I imagine Norhill gives the same levels of hail signs, greetings, waves, and everything like that. But again, too odd is it that every one of the members of the party seems to be getting equal greetings, and it doesn't seem like this militaristic setup uh, where only Goodrick is the one who's spoken to here among the ranks. But as you guys are let in, it seems like there's different groups of people who are cooking meals and setting up games of dice and whatnot. Uh, and it seems like the deeper you go into this place, um, there seems to be a barracks, which itself is broken off into smaller camps. But again, well-distributed camps of individuals. It's not like they're, you know, segregated based on anything like that. Um, but yeah, so I suppose the question is, what would you guys like to do now? I think we need to find more information on the ceremony. The ritual apologies. You're probably right, but first let us find some place semi-private where we can easily regroup in case anything goes wrong. Like, you know, maybe we can stake our claim in a little like corner of the barracks. Sure. Yeah, you guys are totally able to do that. In a room that almost looks like the same room where the uh the uh, bugbear chieftain that you guys had spoke to so long ago, uh, where she was residing at one point. You know, the one that Jarzak totally threw off a ledge. Um, that poor innocent old lady, if you remember that one. Um, so oh taking a spot in what <laughs> seems to be her old chambers, you guys can hold yourself up in a corner and begin to talk amongst yourselves at a table. 
uh, I imagine you guys would probably end up playing cards or something like that to give off the illusion of not talking about plans to kill their leader. I don't know, guys. I mean, they all seem pretty nice here. It just seems weird how quickly everything goes south after this. I guess that's what happens when the deceiver gets his claws in anything or anyone. Quickle looks over at uh, Taclaw. <laughs> let us not let ourselves forget that no matter how nice they may seem, these are the people who drew forth the blood from the stones and wiped out the small folk of Bolt's Crag Peak. Wars war, no matter how nice the other side may seem when you're one of their comrades. Well, like I said, I feel like a lot of what happened was more on the Deceiver than anyone else. It seems like maybe Stormblood would have pursued peace if he had the option, but the machinations of a god are... Well... We know how it ends. Not necessarily. Peace for, uh, peace for his people, perhaps. It's rather difficult to settle a land when there are already other people there who think that you ought to be someplace else. But we don't... We don't know what exactly is going to happen when you give him a soul. Not really. We I don't know how it's going to affect everything. I'm, I doubt maybe they won't he won't even notice. You know? Like, maybe it'll just be something that happens during the ritual and then we can just get out of here. That'd be pretty good. I will also say that the ritual uh, that you're all referring to, it doesn't seem like, from all the hubbub you've heard around this place, the general talk of the town here, nobody has ever once muttered the word ritual ceremony or anything to do with the deceiver in any way, shape or form. And instead all the praise of their successes in the war so far seem to be all anybody's talking about. Mm. Oh, so well, what did, um, what's his child, the Oni say, what did the Oni say that if we screw up, he gave us some warning that it, and then said if we did that, that he would send us to, a, or he would give us a night worse than hell. Well, it was the whole thing he didn't want the, he was like, don't, he's a good man. Don't fuck with his soul. And it's like, that's exactly what's gonna happen. Oh, yeah. He said if you try and corrupt him, that's what it was. Not if you try and corrupt the ritual. Yeah. It makes me wonder if he's corruptible in the first place. Like, like that's showing some doubt right there. He's a corruptible man. Well, we we know so, he was because he wouldn't have become the Herald of Steel otherwise. Well, it, it's saying that the Oni's gotta know more than we are aware of. Because if he knows like he could be corrupted, then he knows some kind of deals going on in the first place. Well, he might know that we're agents of failure. He might also mm -hmm. know that his, you know, leader has a pact with the Deceiver, again, uh, I think he started out with the best of intentions, and we end up where we end up, but we do need to figure out when exactly that happens, and where, and how. Yes. Maybe it would be best if we split up and tried to mingle 
Yes, and it's important, Anton, that we do not second-guess our mission, not even for a moment. For down that road lies failure. Yeah, you're going to have faith, Anton. Well, as I seem to be your captain, I'll see if I can't scare up some version of our orders without raising suspicion. It seems like this second in command expects us to be there when something happens. So were we meant to be at his side? Well, that's what I hope we can find out. That would sure make things easier. So, at this point, after about an hour or so of discussing amongst yourselves, it's just about noon. Um, and at this point, a couple of uh, a couple of soldiers come down and yell out to the crowd gathered down here in the barracks and say that they need help upstairs gathering the tables for the long table. Apparently, there is a grand feast to be had tonight, and they mention that Stormblood will be giving a speech before tomorrow's big battle. Oh boy, sure. Jembring have... will go help. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, Goodrick will offer to help too. Okay. So oh, I thought again, you were going to go see if we could you could find out our orders. Or are we all going to the ta- ta- I think we're all going to the tables then. Okay. If I, if I can make it perhaps I can make it look natural from there. So the group as well as dozens of soldiers in here gathered uh march their way upstairs where you can see giants and trolls and whatnot already loading heaps of furniture into the giant dragon's chamber, which you guys were, again, once in 100 years from now. Uh, Tables are being wound and lined up in a very square geometric pattern. And one thing that you notice is that there's very little to designate any head of a table. And if anything, the big swirling maze of tables leads you to believe there really is no advantageous position that puts any seat above the rest, any seat anywhere, you know, uh, in a way to look over other seats or anything like that. And if ever there was a very egalitarian sort of approach to setting up a long table, this would be it. Either that or the world's greatest game of Snake, where somebody's, like, maxed out the screen and they've got, like, the perfect pattern, right? Um, But yeah, anyway... So a few hours of people moving these tables around and getting everything in shape, also getting out the giant kegs for, you know, ale and and all the food prepared and whatnot. Um, In this time, you guys have an opportunity to do quite a bit of mingling. So what would you like to do? I think I want to learn more about how they've been successful. Like, if there's any mention of, like, assistance of, like, a third party outside their group, like the deceiver or... The agents of just just to get an idea of like what does everyone interpret like how they reached these are moments. you gonna say the deceiver like a cop every time no, like no, you did no, that no. time the deceiver no, hello no, children no. i'd more like just, to buy some a more just recoll- <laughs> trying to get recollections of everyone's success stories you know i mean this is a, this is meant to be a party that brings up everyone's morale so why swap some good stories of victory. Okay. What about everybody else? Uh, Norhill's going to see if he can pick out like a foreman or a quartermaster, you know, somebody who's kind of in charge of getting all the tables set up, who he can go talk to and see if he can finesse his way through to go talk to so-and-so for orders for the battle. 
Vegas is going to find a group. I will also say that. Oh, oh sorry. sorry. Just just for the sake of addressing Anthony's uh, thing here, um, based on how far away your camp is, this feast is almost in honor of those going to battle to the west of where you are. As you guys are all so far away, you guys are like the the reserves. You guys are the second wave to go into the battle. You guys are too far away to really be engaged tomorrow. So this instead is sort of like celebration of your successes as a collective army and the celebration of those who tomorrow or today are fighting for their lives. You know what I mean? And you guys are basically next week going to be going and laying the clobber down. So just so you know that much. So asking about oh, okay. orders and stuff like that. Just, yeah. Yeah, so I, I guess, you know, uh, clarifications on like, you know, uh, where where are my men needed for the reserve or whatever. That sort of thing. All right. And then what about, uh, what about Jembring? Uh, Jembring's going to go find a group of goblins and really appreciate being the tallest. <laughs> Until you realize all the other hobgoblins and uh, bugbears around, and you're like, Shit. yeah, yeah, it's fine. Okay, she's gonna completely ignore the ogres and the half giants and giants. Really focus on the goblins. Okay, and what about Taclaw? Pull out your sword and start talking to it. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> Pull up well, my sword and start talking to. No, um, Jarzak's uh, just gonna, I guess, just makes small talk and whatever. Just kind of chat okay. with the other soldiers, see how like uh. You want to do it with Anton? Yeah, yeah. Do you know how hard it would be to keep track of each other in this place? Just because you already don't know what each other look like very well, and sort of just like walk up to one, just be like Anton. I don't think they know we're on to the... You know what I mean? You're like, who the fuck is Anton? Like, my name is Bug Grub. You're like, oh, sorry, you look like my friend. Like, what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> and single-handedly, Jarzak broke up the, the racial equality of this place by assuming all bugbears <laughs> look alike. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the whole thing broke into a giant uh, fight. Just, sorry, you look like my friend, just much, much more handsome. <laughs> Very good. Walks um, away after giving that compliment. Just, yes. <laughs> okay, so with that, uh, Alhawk and um, <laughs> and Tacklaw together uh, start meandering around and getting a general buzz of the people here, uh, listening to their stories around here. The general vibe you guys get from the small talk you have around here is nobody looks to Stormblood as being in charge so much as he is one of the people and they view him as very inspiring and a unifier so when they discuss their successes and victories uh i think anton and jar well probably not jarzak but anton definitely feels a bit of like a twinge when he hears how much these beastly evil creatures as you come to know them uh, takes such delight in relishing over the stories of squashing dwarves beneath their boots and beheading elves and sending them back to the forests and killing all the humans of Amaroth and Glory Wake and all the places. And they just recount all the times when in battle they've looked to the glory of Stormblood uh, in the hopes of reclaiming Amaroth and unifying it under the United Warriors. Um, it uh, It's a very strange feeling seeing the level of like hope 
and glory in the eyes of the soldiers as they recount these tales of battle. But it seems like, again, they look to Stormblood as something of like a figure to revere. And not once does anybody mention him as being a tiefling. One thing you guys notice is nobody really ever refers to anybody else by their 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 species or their race or whatever you want to call it. Um, and instead, everybody just sort of refers to each other as united or warriors or brethren or kin or ilk. It's it's a very strange experience, and it feels almost cultish, to be honest. But then I think Anton being, one, a member of a religion, and two, being a very wise individual, Anton probably recognizes a sense of bias he may have. And as he looks back on his own, his own ventures too close to the light, hearing them and the reverence that they have towards him kind of sees some parallels between those he's worshipped alongside. You know what I mean? And so there's a weird sense of, like, is this praise? Is this worship? Is this, you know what I mean? And yeah. I would say Anton gets the general vibe that he is a a living embodiment of their solid future, you know? And they view him as such. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, Gudrick, who is looking around for any sort of foreman or quartermaster or something, a superior of sorts, uh, very unfortunately for you, the first person you see of any sort of semblance of authority is Shuntin, the Oni, who seems to be marching in your general direction and rests a single giant hand upon your shoulder and says, you seem lost. Uh, you'll excuse me. I was simply looking for somebody who could help me uh, get my men in place for the coming days. And with that, a single... Hooting bellow belly laugh comes from Shuntin as he lurches his neck back and, oh, you need to be prepared. Surely I, second in command to Stormblood himself, can direct you and your wonderful companions. Perhaps you and I should talk of these plans right now. Well, that would be perfect if you have a moment. I have all the time in the world for someone with such integrity as you, Goodrick. And with a very toothy grin, again, seeing the crusty gemstones in his teeth, he points in the direction of leading down to the barracks yet again. All right. Uh, Norhill does his best to remain in good cheer. So <laughs> that makes me sad. So leading you down that way, you can see that there are a couple of chambers in a, in a, in a hallway that seems to be pretty well reinforced. Um, and at the end of the hall, is a certain dungeonous chamber, it would seem, uh, with a very well-reinforced metal door with torches and sconces on the wall on either side. Uh, unfortunately, you don't go to that room. There are two doors on either side, and he leads you to the farthest down on the left. He pushes the door open, and you can tell he wants you to go in. Uh, Norhill Gudrick is not in a position to refuse, so he goes in. Oh, boy. So with that, the Oni tries to half his height and squeeze in through the doorway. And as he does, you can tell this is something of a a room with something of like a uh, one of those half partitions around a bed of sorts. And inside the room as well is a table, as well as a map covered in a bunch of pins and flags. This is something of a war room, but also very well is the Oni's room itself. And as the Oni walks you in, he says, Goodrick, I have always respected you. 
And with a metal ping, you hear the sound of a dropped bar across the door that you had just walked in through. And as the Oni sort of stands at his full height, towering over you just a just a bit here, looks down at you and says, But I need to understand why it is that you have gone down this path. What path would that be? I have only ever fought faithfully for the sake of my men. Stormblood may not see it, but I know a liar and a rat when I see one. You reek of the cult, those assassins hiding in shadows. Do you think I'm not aware? Uh, Gudrick is going to do his best to look confused and say, I think you may have followed a wrong trail. Like many, I've heard rumors, but I am no traitor, sir. He goes over to the small desk that he has set up here in this room, pulls out a single drawer, and lifts up a scroll of paper, unravels it, and he says, do you recognize this handwriting? I intercepted a courier leaving the mountains. This is your name, is it not? Tell me who your informant is in that fetid coat, and I will be very kind with how I dispose of you. Tell me the truth, honestly, and I will spare you the pain. I, as the person that I am, can tell you with 100% <laughs> assurance that I was not the one who put my name upon that document, nor do I have any contacts within this cult of which you speak. He says, Goodrick, I know you have seen me fight, and I know you have seen me turn men to ice and shatter it under my fists. Are you sure you would like to play this game of ignorance? I play no game. I do not know of what you speak. <laughs> Why is this becoming the Man Ray and fucking Patrick yeah. meme? He shows it. He's like, surely this is your signature. You're like, yep. He's like, and it says right here, you're an accomplice. Sure does. And it's like, so who are you working with? It's not my letter. So with that, he, and he puts the letter. You know what? Not to be that guy is 100% true. That is not my name and that is not my letter. That's what makes this so fun. Um, but with that, he puts it down on the table and he begins to pull the spear from his back and he says, I've waited a long time to prune you from this tree of life we have sprouted. Tell me, Goodrick, where would you like me to throw your body? I don't know how I can convince you that I am not a traitor. I think you're it worth more. You've already just uh, long ago decided that I am a person you do not like. He says, for a long time I respected you, but unfortunately what you've done here, as he points a stubby finger to the uh, to the letter, he says, it would seem you were more than willing to take quite a sum of money in order to end the life of Stormblood. So tell me this, who is it you work for? Utrecht is going to take the letter and read it. What does it say? The letter itself like in specifically basically says I have retrieved the money that you have given me and I'm waiting for the second installment, the second payment. Nobody suspects a thing and he will be dead this evening. He will be poisoned and all will be well. Uh, uh, Norhill slash Gudrick puts the note 
back on the table and says, I really have no idea. Actually, you're going to hold on. Can Norhill like interrogate Gudrick like mentally inside the dream to see if he can actually figure it out? I'll need to go back to sleep. I would need to go. Okay. You're like, here, punch me in my head, knock me out. I need to figure something out. <laughs> so, yeah, I really have in. no idea. Okay, roll me a persuasion check. I'll give you advantage because it's very believable that you don't, because you don't. But again, you're trying to sell your innocence for this character who may have been just a complete bastard. Like, Goodrick could be a piece of shit. And you're over here like, no, really, I don't know. Meanwhile, in his other life, when Norhill's not in charge, he's just farting, smoking, drinking, and he's just a prick. <laughs> it's like, uh, Well, I got a 19, so... Okay. So with that, the Oni looks you up and down for a moment, and as he pauses and sniffs at the air, he says... I had fears that somebody would try to frame you or myself or someone else important around here. I have reason to believe there are spies, and even worse than that, conspirators with Valaketh. I had heard word that those worshippers may have made their way deep within this place. Goodrick, I believe you. But you need to promise me that you will help me root out those who would worship the Deceiver and those who might bring harm to Stormblood. I pledge that I will do whatever is in my power to help and to bring to justice anyone who would corrupt the purpose of Stormblood, whoever it may be. Or that he gives you a smiling nod. He puts a hand on your shoulder again and he says as he hands a key over to you. I think it's only fair that you have a key to his personal chambers as well. I trust you. For the future, I think it is in the hands of such people as yourself and me, those who could be trusted to make decisions greater than oneself for the future and for all that inherit it. For a world of peace, uh, Goodrick uh, holds up the key and starts getting ready to leave. And with that, he just kind of follows you out, and you guys walk back upstairs together. And with that, he just kind of breaks away, unless you do your thing. Well, that didn't turn the way I thought it would. Um. So anyway. Oh, oh man. Just good. He just like got the fucking key to the door, like walks back to the group of everybody, like, guys, you're not going to believe this, but we can't talk about this right here. He just holds out the key, like, I got the key to his bedroom. Like, what happened? I went to the Oni's bedroom. Like, was it a night worse than hell? <laughs> Like, uh, I'm afraid he might be a nice guy. <laughs> um, and so the I guess poetic and painful thing that uh Klika has to endure at this point is for once again, apart from the weird wombat go uh, goblins that you had encountered before, Klika is finally truly among other goblins, and they warmly look to her even though she is now Jembring, a man and a hobgoblin, and hearing the term Karbok in, like, perfect context and not, like, a longing ideal, but instead, a, like, a revered title that they share in this current moment, 
Hearing the praise of their unity and the strength within their numbers, cheers and the many goblin tongues, various, like, you know, calls out holding up mugs of ale as they seem to be calling out in joy for what will happen in a new age of peace among the goblins and everybody else. Kalika, for once in her life, feels a strange semblance of belonging. And though she's felt belonging in certain other situations, feeling a sense of belonging amongst goblins is a weird, bittersweet feeling. After hearing so many strange tales of her mother and her father and all the weird stipulations that created her as a weird ray of light from a starbeam, somehow being trapped in a stone fortress with a group of smelly goblins drinking beer and just talking about how awesome friendship and family is, Koika feels the tangible reality of a Karbok and feels oddly like this possible peaceful future may have been something she was denied. So what would, what would uh, Kalika slash Jembering like to do? Not cry. Well, you're going to have to roll a saving throw for that one. <laughs> oh, man. Just just Hobgoblin ugly crying in the middle of a party. Just... <laughs> oh, yeah. Jembering's always <laughs> been a sad drunk. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Uh, yeah, I mean... I guess it's just a very it's Klika in this moment knows she will be nostalgic and have dreams about this moment. That's the feeling Klika gets. It is so ethereal. It's so out of body. It's so on the edge of memory. The fact that it's already happening in the past is kind of screwing with her but like she just knows that like she'll never forget the way this feels and she like will have some deep sense of longing to go back to this moment for the rest of her life so she just puts it out of her mind and does the best she can to be in the moment like she doesn't try and collect information she's not worried about the objective she just for this one night she's not the child of destiny she doesn't need to worry about who her parents may or may not be or and she has no obligations to anyone or anything and she's just among people who consider her carbock and that's enough Shoot, this was a very, uh, very eventful group of actions we've had here. I uh, kind of wasn't anticipating all of this. But anyway, after a couple hours of all this taking place, at one point, um, people start hushing and telling everybody that the food is getting ready. So my question for the party is, where will they be sitting? Generally speaking. All together, I hope. Yeah. One would hope. I feel like we need to figure out an idea of like where was where he'll be sitting. Yeah, he's probably gonna well, sit directly in the middle of everything. It's a perfectly egalitarian table, so I imagine pretty much anybody will be equidistant from Stormblood. So would you guys like to just sit in sort of a very middle area? Yeah, more or less. Okay. 
Um, so what happens next is something that seems to rival the organized movements of like the greatest trained monks going through like like kata or, or some other sort of uh what do they call pumse is that the other one yeah anyway so going through like this like strangely illusionary movement of plates dishes meats cooked platters booze just everything seems to go funneling through this odd shape of tables as food seems to be evenly distributed each and every which way with people stretching and reaching and placing food in places again the food here is not to the liking of all i will definitely say there are some uh very questionable meats that are being served as well as some dishes that smell a lot worse than they look which is saying a lot um and so the organized structure of the meal being placed is something that sort of you know juxtaposes how gross the food is that's coming out but as you guys take your seat um, and everybody seems to have their food at the ready, and people begin to uh, eat their food. Somebody calls out as Stormblood enters and walks to his seat, honorarily in the smack dab middle of all the tables. And as he's walking in, people stand up, people cheer, people clap, people begin to chant his name and call out for Stormblood. Um, he walks in as if, you know, just sort of soaking it up, but in a very honorific kind of way you know what i mean sort of taking the accolades but not in a snobbish kind of way and goes to sit down at a spot but before he does he says i have prepared a speech i've been busy within my study and i've done a lot of thinking much thinking and with that he begins to speak in the goblin tongue in a way that seems to speak to everybody in the chamber sort of a unifying language of sorts um and as he does so he says Perhaps it was in a fit of rage that I organized this series of ideas, but for what it's worth, I'd like to say something. And with that, he stands up and everybody goes painfully quiet. He says, my friends, my Karbach, my kin, my blood brothers, I face you now as warlord Stormblood. So someday I know I will face you as an equal. Although I have well enough proven my strength and my dedication to our liberation from the oppressors of Amroth, there is still much to be done. Soon we shall see the dwarves crumble beneath our boots, all thanks to our warriors, who even now are crushing the skulls of the humans who would slaughter us like cattle on pious claims of superiority. They are as foolish as their own gods and kings, those same leaders whose pride would rival the gods themselves. Of all victories we may achieve here in our war for this land, the sweetest shall be our destruction of the hubris of those swine, assuming they are greater because of their birth, because of their cities and their titles. To this I laugh, and from that a couple of grumbling, groaning laughs come from all the bestial tones here, a cacophony of laughs from all different booming voices and dialects. Those city walls that they believe keep them safe are the same that weaken their people. Those gold coins within their purses are the chains and shackles which keep them a prisoner of their vices. And those rules and laws which they believe make them safe only segregate and strangle them. Those they believe to be of proper birth climb atop the writhing masses of their avaricious ilk, never once shedding blood or fighting for what they have received. 
This weakness is what separates those fools from the rightful heirs of Amaroth. Us, the united warriors of this land. And with that, he turns around in a circle. Again, looking at everybody sort of joined here at this moment. I was turned away due to the nature of my birth. While their so-called wise men sought to cleanse me, their kindest of rulers wouldn't hazard dirtying their boots to step on me. They were blinded by their obsession with superiority and in the end lost all they hoped to gain and protect. Who now are they to call me demon-born? Who are they to question my value? Now that we wield the executioner's axe, justice is what we define. But I assure you, my brethren, though our bravery and vigor separate us from those dogs, our justice will be supreme. Look to your fellow warrior and tell me what you see. And at this point, he begins kind of finger banging around the room, looking at everybody and just pointing fingers everywhere. And with that, he says, an orc, a goblin, giant kin. I see only my equals. This is where we differ and rise above those oppressors. The dwarves and the gnomes covet their gems and their gold, willing to cut ties with the humans they tolerate over this greed. The humans of Garavar's uh, dominion would enslave and slaughter their neighbors and think nothing of it, so long as they looked different enough. The elves of the western forest of Thalvir, they wouldn't lift a finger in this war to help those who might protect them, all because they view the rest as lesser-born and worthless. We have, earned, we have learned from the oppressors, and we are all stronger with our unity. King Garavar lost this war the day he stood divided with his coalition of cowards, too proud to unite like we have. For this crime of hatred that they have committed against us and their own, they shall be punished. Like the mighty trees of this land after a forest fire, let us grow stronger from this cleansing. Our kingdom will be built with honor, our foundation, unity the stone, and strength the mortar. We will not be broken, as we are the pure and the deserving. Amaroth will be saved from its pitiful masters, and will become the possession of all worthy. Amaroth will be ours. And with that, he stands silently for a moment, and everybody begins to scream and hoot and holler, banging on the tables, smacking around their cutlery, and hooting in all different languages and all different dialects. And the room becomes a cacophony until it breaks from sounds into a chant, Stormblood, Stormblood. And as he stands there holding up a glass, he calls for a toast. To the victor goes the spoils. And with that, all different monstrous hands begin to hold up glasses, bring them to their lips, and people drink heartily. Do you guys also drink? Yeah, yeah. we just did. Mm-hmm. What? We need to blend in. <laughs> the feast continues for what would appear to be hours, honestly. And as the sun begins to set into the evening... People break off into small clusters and whatnot. Uh, could I get a perception check from everybody? Eight. Nice. It's um, 11. Zero. 16. Okay. okay. Jarzak uh, and... Uh, wait, was it Anton that got the 11? Yes. Sick. All right. Can you both roll me an insight check? Oh no. A five. Ew. 
And so I got 21. Of course he did. So Anton probably feels very weird about this whole situation and praising and drinking in a toast to crush the skulls of his own progenitors. So I imagine he feels a little weird with the whole experience, but as everybody eats, or at least pretends to in order to blend in, Anton, I imagine, continually keeps his eye on Stormblood. Seeing the Herald of Steel in the flesh, as it were, is a very strange experience, to say the least. But one thing that Anton realizes is a very strange level of, like, understanding as he looks upon Stormblood. And as he's looking at him during different points in the meal, he sees him sort of going through the motions of a joyous speech with everybody and joining in and eating and, and whatnot. But Anton sees too clear on Stormblood's face sort of the weight of depression and pain and anguish. And it feels all too strange that Anton feels sort of similar at times. And the look of loss and pain on his face seems all too clear for him to see, even though he hides it behind a facade. He's already hearing the ideals of like not having a master, not being held down by anything. And he's wondering what's holding Storm Blood right now. Who's his master right now? Soon that was the big thing that drove the Herald to Steel. That was his big focal point. So he's wondering, there's got to be something. There, there's always dark deeds behind these victories. Interesting to learn what that is. But he feels bad. He feels bad. Because he's like, this isn't necessarily a bad thing, except for the war part. There could be peace without war, but it's not the case. So with that, Stormblood gets up, walks over to a second-in-command, says something in his ear, and as Shuntin hears it, leans in, nods a couple times, Shuntin begins to scan around the room and looks over at Gudrick and Anton, or I guess Alhawk, who's uh, sitting there looking back at them. So it's very clear that Shuntin gives sort of a knowing nod to your little group of hobgoblins, and with that, the sort of leader of the United Warriors leaves, and walks back towards that hallway downstairs that Goodrick had been in only a few hours ago. And at that point, Shunten gets up, walks over to your table, and sort of leans into Goodrick and whispers in his ear and says, Things are not well. I would recommend you keep an eye on him. I trust you. Very well, sir. And Norhill's kind of going to tap uh, the party on the shoulder uh, to you know signal that it's time to go. And so with that, as you guys waltz down following shortly after Stormblood, seeing him again, waving, greeting, taking pictures with fans on the way down, uh, he stops at the very well-reinforced door at the end of the hall. And as he walks up to the door and pulls out a key from his own pocket to unlock it and open it, he turns around and sees you guys marching single file down the hall behind him. And at one moment he stops and he says, Udrick, Jimbring, Alhak, Takla. It's good to see you all. I apologize if my speech this evening was a bit bitter. I'm afraid my tenacity is getting the best of me as of late, but I think that's what we need in a time like this. For us to become equals, I must be the leader now. Not at all. Uh, a little bit of that attitude is necessary in times like these. 
And with that, he runs a single hand across his forehead, past his horns, and he pulls back his cowl, and he again reveals his long, wavy hair, and he says, Do you all have a moment? Always. Please come in. And with that, he leads you into the room that he uh, appears to be staying in. And as he leads you in, his room is very simple. The only thing that's different from what you'd saw in the Oni's room is quite a few small clay pots and pitchers, each one of them with various mushrooms and plants growing out of them, strange bits of ivy and whatnot, little berries growing off little twigs and whatnot in here. And he's just got sort of like a small little miniature garden, as well as what appears to be like a wicker basket with a couple of ferrets sitting inside of it. And as he walks inside, he just rubs them on their little bandit looking heads and he sort of nudges them a little bit. And then he looks back at you guys with a wry smile and he says, uh, take a seat wherever you can get one. And as you look around the room, pretty much every chair has a plant in it. Um, so it's a little awkward getting a spot. Your drink very gingerly moves a plant pot off of the seat and dusts it off so he can sit down. While so he's he doing, says, while he's oh, doing sorry, that, Jembring's going to take the seat that Goodrick cleared up. Thank you. Goodrick gets another seat. <laughs> so with that, as he stands there among you all, he pulls a spot over on his bed and sits down on it, looking across at you guys. Less the form of a warlord and more the form of a disgruntled youth. You guys look at him and realize he might not be a year over the age of 25, maybe 30. And realizing this for just a moment, being this close to him again, he sighs deeply and he says, Goodrick, I've known you for quite some time. Ever since I met you in the forest of the Wandering Swordsman, I've been able to trust you. You, your company, each and every one of you are brave, willing to do anything to help me. I heard word that a letter of yours was found not too long ago. Had some fairly scary things written within it. I'm guessing that Shuntin giving you the key to this room means either he trusts you, and that was nothing more than strangeness, or Shuntin has it out for me, and I'm not really uh, not really prepared for that reality. And with that, he smiles and chuckles a little bit to himself. And with that, he sort of leans in and he says, I never really believed you'd do something evil like that. You couldn't possibly. You're of good character. All of you. All right, quick, hit him with the stored up nuke. <laughs> no. Gomro's luck slowly alerted. Uh, <laughs> don't even hit him. Just hit the table. Just completely changing the future. Uh, shatter the structure of creation itself and uh, uh, unmake the world and all of its attendant planes. Yeah, well, the alternate realities will still be okay. It's just not the good alternate realities. It's only the dark. But, uh, um, yeah. I only hope that I can be worthy of this compliment you have. And that he says, nonsense. You are a good man. All of you. But perhaps I'm speaking to you in a way that a warlord shouldn't. But I've been having strange nightmares. 
ones that feel too real to me. I have strong fear that I'm getting premonitions of the future. Tell me, have any of you ever had dreams such as this? Gimbring coughs. <laughs> yeah, uh, good. <laughs> looks a little uncomfortable. Uh, what does Norhill know uh, about the hobgoblin's beliefs uh, on the prophetic nature of dreams? I mean, it's kind of universal. It's not like they worship like a dream god or anything like that. It's the usual kind of superstitious things, you know? Uh, you know what? The, the truthiness. Uh, let's keep making it sound real. Once before, when I had great need of them. Okay. So with that he he nods and he says, "Did it follow you out of your sleep and into your everyday waking life?" Only when I refused to do the things that needed to be done. Damn it, Anthony! Why'd you say that? And so with that, he just kind of nods and he says, you're right. I've heard that dreams bear quite a lot of truths and it is the everyday grayness of morality and seems like it just all obfuscates what's truly there. And perhaps I should trust my unconscious when it comes to these sorts of decisions. I just fear that these are not my own dreams and instead I'm, well, never mind. That's not important. I just want to know. And forgive me if this seems a bit harsh, as he looks around and makes eye contact with each of you four gathered. If I died tomorrow, would you carry on this legacy of peace? Any of you? Jembring would spend the rest of his life fighting for peace. What actually happened in the War of the Bleeding Stone when Stormblood disappeared? The various armies under his control began infighting as there was no strong leadership to hold them together. I I don't think you understand the, the weight of your presence here. We will fight, says, obviously, without you here, but I don't know if they'll I'll go for everyone. With it, he looks down and his face pales. And he says, as a single teardrop rolls down his face, he says, as he looks back up to you and he says, I was afraid to hear that. I would hope that my speeches and my beliefs and everything I've done here is enough to inspire people to continue with this in their hearts. Maybe I'm a fool, but I felt like if I could change their minds, I could change the world. Even if there's only a few goblins or maybe a couple orcs. But my existence, much like your own, was damned from birth. And he looks down again and he says, we are different from them. And for that, they hate us. If only they understood. It's the supremacy those who are different feel over those without power. 
They hate us because they don't understand. And he looks back up again, a second tear rolling down his cheek, and he says, but I like to think that I understand. And I believe you that you did not write that note, nor have you been working with those assassins. I like to think that I've touched the hearts of you people. All those years of being bullied, trampled, assailed in the streets for how I looked. I like to think that all that suffering and all that pain will be finally worth it when we have peace in this land. And I will not kill those humans who at once treated me so poorly, and I would ask you all to do the same. Grant them peace and understanding. We need less bloodshed. And we will need you to hold that peace for as long as you can until it has time to take root and grow. And Gujik is going to reach down very dramatically, like lift the leaf of the potted plants. He's like, don't touch it. It's a black lotus. Good. Gujik just drops dead. <laughs> but with that, he sort of smiles wryly and nods. And he says, for the longest time, I thought I was even more of a strange stranger in this world and a bit of a freak, but... I can talk to the trees, you know, the plants, the animals. They don't see me as anything different. I'm just a member of their own kin. I'm one with the wild. And as he walks over and strokes one of the plants, he says, they know much and we have much to learn from them. But again, people of Amroth never really looked kindly on such things. And as he walks back to the bedside, he says, I'm afraid I'd like to be alone now. I really hope that you all forgive me if I can't carry on this mission of peace. I'm afraid my dreams feel more and more like reality. And the promises therein, they sound sweeter by the day. So, Goodrick. Jembring, Takla, Alhach. Please, don't give up the faith. Someday we will know a world of peace, and the violent oppressors will be no more. If you really needed my advice, it would be, do not die tomorrow. And to die tonight. Uh, and to that end... Oh, if you would let me and my men watch your door while you sleep, these assassins are a very real threat. And somebody needs to stand between you and that. That he smiles and he says, yes, the assassins are the threat. You're right. And that he nods and he says, very well. I shall lock the door. I presume you will keep me safe. You have my blade and you have my heart. That hurts Norhill a little bit to say that. Just a little so bit. much. So as the uh, quartet are escorted out of the room and stand outside the door for a moment, hearing the lock latch and snap shut, you guys can hear very little from the other side of the door, but just enough in the murmurings as you hear him sigh for a moment. And as the uh, first ten... 15 or so minutes pass by. 
Jarzak feels a very strange twinge in the back of his neck. And everybody feels a little bit colder all of a sudden in this room. Not much of an understanding of what's going on, but feeling just the slightest itchy twinge for just a second. Uh, I think he might be trying to talk to the deceiver. I know that ringtone. You are sure. <laughs> Jarzak pulls out Domero's luck. Uh, shall I? Allow me. Uh, <laughs> uh, Gudrick goes up and unlocks the door. Are you sure you want to do that? I am not, but I'm going to do it anyway. Are you sure? Do it. We have no other chance. Would you like to listen at the door? Or kick I it open? I would like to listen to the door first. Whoa, whoa, listen. I didn't say that. If you yes, want to kick did. in the door, you can do that. Yeah, yeah, you're, 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 what you're talking about. The, the GM is asking me, am I sure? I said no, but I'm going to do it anyway. You asked again, I'm going to listen to the door. You so you unlock the door. to do it with me. So you unlock the door, and as you open it for just a moment to look inside, you see Stormblood sitting at his desk, and on his desk is something of like a big like banana leaf kind of looking leaf that's been unraveled, and on it are a series of fine powders, a small goblet beside him, and what looks like a glass filled with spring water. And as you burst into the room and look at him... For a moment, he looks over at you in a, in a look of surprise, and he grabs at his chest, and he looks to you and he says, Godric, what is the meaning of this? My man here, Taklaw, had a bad feeling, and I've learned to trust those bad feelings. Is everything all right? Yes. <laughs> everything is fine. Uh, and instead of 19, is everything fine? You know... It looks just fine and dandy. Let's see. What can... What can... Clica uh, can't beat an inside of 19, so... Don't you... Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Also, Goodrick already rolled for it. We're good. Goodrick got the glare on this one. He's like, mm, okay. Listen, I am fighting for the fact that I rolled a nat 19 before I got any benefits on it, so just let me have the success here, okay? That's why there was a nice pause why it seems so natural when he said yes. Well, that's because I know you got nothing you can do about it. Wow. <laughs> Th these powders and herbs and whatnot that he has, does this seem like a magical ritual? Huh. If anything, judging by your time you spent among the gnomes, this looks more like an alchemical like laboratory setup. Like he's brewing a potion or making some sort of mixture. Um, what's all that stuff for? And with that, he says, Jumbring, with all due respect, this is my business. Please, close the door. It just okay. doesn't seem... Uh, if how... you say so, boss. So, when in Threndial explained to us what we had to do, like, how close did we need to be to use the vial? Like, do well, we he, within, like, direct line of effect or anything? I mean, he currently has a soul, so now is not the time. Okay. You have to find him be before he's dead. Oh, sorry, while he's dead, 
but also before he has been corrupted. So there's a sweet spot you gotta hit there sometime, but okay. yeah. Uh, so if no one, no one else in the party is going to jump in, uh, Gudrick is going to close and relock the door, but he's not going to move away from it, and he's going to keep listening. Okay. If you want, all four of you could fit at the door and listen at the same time. Hinson's just like, we know this is going to happen when he's asleep. He left us enough hints that this happens in his sleep. Uh, no, he well, said he, he was having dreams. He was having prophetic dreams. Ronnie, so are you doing thinking. that thing you're doing all the time? Are you doing that thing? But it makes <laughs> sense. If he's having this stuff in his dreams, and he's got to be asleep. Perhaps. But he was awake right there, so clearly now's not the time. Yeah. But so, if you guys would yeah. like to, you can roll for perception checks at the door. Yeah. I'm going to say that because there's four of you on it, you can all roll normally and not at disadvantage. Uh, six. Tree. Also kind of a funny... Kind of a funny look, seeing all you guys sitting outside the door, just all hunkered over at different heights, listening in, waiting for this bad guy to let his mind, his mind, body, and soul be corrupted. So sad. The, the form of some weird god. So, what did you get, Anton? Fifteen. Wait. Okay. Uh, wait a second. Actually, oh shit, shit, shit! It was a. Uh, yes, 15. Sorry. I thought I saw a 16. What did Jarzak get? I got a 6. Okay. So, everybody tries listening in, but over each other's uh, breathing, I guess, nobody's able to hear much. Anton, the only one who's really got an ear in a good spot, is able to hear nearly by the crack where the door meets the frame. And for the next 5-10 minutes, nothing happens, except for the light tapping of somebody using a mortar and pestle as well as sort of a grinding, mixing sound of stone on stone from the mortar and pestle. Um, and finally, when the itching, cold feeling comes back to all of you, everybody gets even tighter, closer to the door to listen in. And at this point, Anton can hear the sound of a very, very strange rustling noise, like that of chitinous legs, and the sound of like rustling leaves in the wind. And as you hear it, you can hear the voice of Stormblood call out and say, Oh, please, not now. And you hear a voice return, one that seems to haunt Jarzak's dreams, or I guess not anymore, but a haunting voice kind of careens through and you hear, It is almost time. And with that, you can tell Stormblood sort of takes a pause and says, You promised me. The sacrifice I make now will lead to success in the future, right? He says, if you die now, in the future, you will reign supreme. Your armies will fail tomorrow. Your armies will diminish over time. But soon, soon you will reign supreme. If it is the case you truly believe what you do, you can succeed, but you must pay the price. And after a moment, you can hear Stormblood again reply, it shall be done, but it shall be done on my own means. 
as you wish. And with the rustling sound, you guys can tell that the uh, that whatever apparition may have been there on the other side of the door officially is gone. And after a few more minutes of absolutely no noise whatsoever, you hear the sounds of a couple swift sobs. And then you hear the sound of a clang as if some metal goblet falling upon a stone floor. And again, nothing. I gotta open that door. I have a bad feeling. Okay. I think I know what you did. Door is locked. <laughs> open the door. door yeah, yeah Gudrick unlocks the door for our all hawk. He left the key on the other side. He's oh, like, no. oh no. Oh <laughs> no. Meanwhile, your your locksmith friend from all the way. Yeah. Anyway, um, so with that, uh, you pop the lock open and push the door open with a grind, uh, and see upon the floor Stormblood laying face down, and the splattered cup beside him with a strange, milky, almost like opalescent liquid spilled upon the floor. But he certainly does not seem to be moving. Uh, well, Jarzak, this is it. Guess it's time to say goodbye to your soul. Wait, let us make sure. Did he do it? Is he dead? Someone closed the door behind us, by the way. We want to make sure no one's like popping in and just seeing yeah. us over the body. Yeah, you oh, no bad. The door. <laughs> and locks it. Uh, can I do another thing check just to see if I make sure he's like. Sure. I wonder what he used. Definitely used the plant. Uh, 17. Okay. So as you look him over, you feel his pulse, and as you roll him onto his back, you open his eyes, and they seem to be dilated, and you can tell he has a very faint pulse, as if he is still feeling and sensing everything going on around him, but the moments are definitely fading of his consciousness. It seems like his state is that of paralysis, where his heart is slowly stopping beating, and he is, uh, yeah, basically with you for a couple more moments. Clicka runs up to him. Listen, if you can hear me, I just want to let you know, this wasn't what the way to do it. What you did here, all you did here, was doom thousands of innocent people to a life far worse than death. The creature you made a pact with, that terrible being, you deserve everything that's coming to you. But know that. Actually... And with that, a single... <laughs> Sorry, a single teardrop rolls down the side of his face, unblinking, unbreathing, one single teardrop winces out of his eye. Clico whispers in his ear, Hi, I'm Clico. <laughs> what did oh you say? <laughs> Clico whispers in his ear, Hi, I'm Clico. You're very Had... lucky he's been dead. Yeah. You're very lucky he died. That would have been pretty fucked up if he's just like, <laughs> It don't make sense. <laughs> so, with that, he seems to be completely and utterly deceased. Okay, Jarzak pulls out the soul. Okay, and as you pull it out, 
you feel that same itchy, twingy feeling in the back of your neck, as if something seems to be spiraling and swirling overhead, as if you're all standing in the eye of some sort of murky, stygian tornado. And as you pull out the vessel and hold it above Stormblood's dead corpse there, as opposed to a living corpse, it's about to be a living corpse, a corpse with soul. Kliga wants to make sure she holds Jarzak's hand while he does it. So yeah, it doesn't have to do it alone. Just like oh, when we gonna... went to the Shadow Realm. <laughs> okay. So, what does that look like, Jarzak? Or Takla? Uh, Takla holds up the bottle in front of him and just like, let's, let's hope this works. Tips it over oh, and... Is... <laughs> he's, I don't know I don't know what it looks like pouring out a soul well okay I imagine as you tilt it over a couple drips of water seem to pour out and land upon his chest and he just sort of lays there lifeless and still for a moment and you guys don't really seem to have any understanding of if anything seemed to have worked or not worked and suddenly bang 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 Upon the metal door, you hear the very loud and boisterous voice of the Oni. And on the other side of the door, you hear a yelling as uh, Shuntin yells out, What is the meaning of this? Godric, if you're in there, let me in this instant. Uh, I mean, if we're done here, Klika's just gonna fucking pull out whatever knife she has and kill herself. She's out. Fuck this. Fuck this, dude. She's not getting tortured by Simone. (laughs) Is is that what we're doing? (laughs) You hear the jingling of keys on the other side of the door. Is Klika going to kill Jumbring? See, Klika's got a knife in her throat. She's looking around. What's, what's the play? We did what we need to do, right? I'll, I'll Are we sure it worked? I, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's, I, I, how do we check? So suddenly, you hear the sound of the key sliding into the metal of the door, and you hear it unlatching. Uh, what are you going to say? I think we just have to have faith it works. And then Anton kind of falls quickly. Uh, There's there's nothing else to be done. At the very least, I I think that I would like to give Gudrick an honorable death. With that, the door swings open. And for a moment, the Oni looks at you all, slack-jawed and furious. And all of a sudden has a moment of a gulping as he looks down on the floor sees the strange chemical all over the place, his dead body, all four of you circled around him, Jembring and Takla holding hands for some reason, and then (laughs) from that moment just lets out a bestial, enraged, grunting yell. Uh, Roll for initiative real quick, as he is not a happy camper. All right, yeah. Um, (laughs) We can fully put that dagger across her throat. She's uh, what fucking is, out. Uh, what, what is Gudrick's <laughs> dexterity modifier? I'm pretty sure it's just a plus two. You can use a plus two for right now. So that's going to be an 11. I got a nine. <laughs> and got a seven. Um, I got a 15. 
Oh no! All right. Uh, well, so before we all probably uh, die a horrible icy death, uh, Norhill is going to call out uh, in the goblin tongue. Everything that happened here tonight needed to happen in this exact way. I regret nothing, uh, and get ready to charge the Oni. Oh no! Wait. So wait. Who got the highest initiative? Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, you did. Oh no, Jarzak. So, I got. Rudrick is gonna isn't actually okay. gonna have a chance to act. Probably. I'm just saying that he says his piece before he dies. Jarzak, do the, the right effort. thing and and hit us all with the dome rose lug. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, the Norhills is putting forth the effort to do what he said he was gonna do and give Gudrick an honorable death. And then here comes Jarzak to take that death away from you. <laughs> <laughs> Dunk. <laughs> All right, so what would Jarzak like to do? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, Jarzak will take out Domro's luck. And he'll smack it on the ground. See if it does anything. Okay, so Jarzak... Or I guess Taklaw with a very smug look pulls out the odd artifact, and the Oni takes a moment's pause, looks at it, and sniffs at the air with a look of distrust and confusion. And with that, Taklaw smacks the ground with the mighty mallet, only chipping the stone and having absolutely no effect. And with a devilish look upon the Oni's face, it seems that he ran out of the charges of that item. Uh, so, was that it for your turn? I suppose um, as the hobgoblin, you kind of—it's about it, right? I don't get a second attack. You know, I, I start blowing doesn't... both of those in a dream, buddy. <laughs> They're kind of funny though. Oh boy. Okay. Um, in that case, can I get a dexterity saving throw from everybody? Sure. Ooh, nine. Thirteen. Is the dex save the same as the uh? Bonus. Yep. User. Not proficient. Thirteen. Nope. Oh, so it's supposed to. Uh, yeah. Technically, it's a plus one, but I made the error in the beginning, and I'm not oh. going to go back on it now. Eighteen. Eighteen. Yeah. I don't think it made a difference. Um. Okay. So, out of the eleven hit points that hobgoblins have for your little level there. Um, everybody dies instantaneously, except for Alhawk, who at the last minute realizes <laughs> what's going to happen as the Oni holds up his hands and lets loose an entire cone of coldness in the room, freezing everything with shards of ice, ripping and tearing flesh from bone, and sh- like just the shrapnel storm in this chamber just destroying these hobgoblins. Although Alhawk has enough time to dart to the side and get hit only by a few very specific ones, with one shard clean swiping straight through his throat. And as he grasps at his neck and like starts to like grasp at the hole, feeling the agony of the most painful death Anton's ever felt, because Anton's kind of died a couple times now. Um, the Oni walks over and grabs you by your throat, looks you dead in the eye, and said, We had a chance at peace, and punches you square in the face, killing you instantly. We are giving it back, trust me. <laughs> Pretty fucked up you didn't let me kill myself. Yeah, you know, as much as I wanted that on the uh, the history of what's happened in this podcast, I'd rather have it be the case, like, cone of coldness to you, and then, you know... You mean freeze-right. 
Yeah, right. A, a, a freeze ray. Um, but yeah, and so with that, all four of you guys at different intervals gasp awake inside the layer of the Lich and Threndial, which oddly enough feels more safe than being in the other place you were waking up at. Strange time in the campaign. But everybody wakes up, and the Lich, in a very mocking and derisive laughter, says, Did you do what needs to be done? I believe we did. I don't think there was any way we could have verified it perfectly well. Souls are a lot more wet than I imagined. <laughs> Maybe that was that... just my soul. <laughs> Yours is just kind of runny. <laughs> with Undercooked. With that, the uh, the lich begins to cackle aloud and say, "I believe you have paid quite the price indeed, but now is a day to rejoice. Perhaps the future is yours." And with that, we are finished with this quest, and now move on to the very last quest of the campaign. Goodbye. Hey everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in. And if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at ygrognard on Twitter. Or you can even send me an email at youngbrognard at gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things... Dungeons.